There's something very exciting going on in our church these days. Um, and uh, I'm conscious, as I say, that I don't want to sound like I'm creating some sort of hype or something. I, I don't think that's something that we regularly try to do in our church life here. Um, but there's something very exciting going on that I did want to share with you because, for me anyway, it's, it, it seems to me a sense that God's at work and, and doing something quite specific just at this moment in time, and I was keen to share that with you. Now, on Friday morning, I'd been meeting with somebody in Barista, the wee cafe next door, and I thought I'd pop into the church just before I went up home. And in the, the new little hall that's been created there, the, the minor hall, I saw a few of the, the women from our congregation, but also a number of women that I didn't know, some of whom were clearly not from this part of the world, and they had spent an hour, an hour and a half together having coffee in there. And I thought that was very exciting. Then, uh, during the last month, uh, I've heard of a, a couple of times when mums from a local nursery school have gathered together and gone out of an evening to Horatio Todd's, the new bar restaurant, which, which opened just across the Newtonards Road there a while ago. And in both cases, it was Christian mums, uh, members of this church, who had taken the initiative to, to draw a crowd of people from nursery school together uh, to go and spend an evening together. And I think that's very exciting too. Now maybe you're wondering why I think these things are exciting. Uh, and I think as I share a little this morning, I, I hope it'll become clear to you why these kinds of things are important and exciting in the, the family of God. We're going to do a, start with a very short wee Bible study in John 13. So you have it open there in front of you. I want you to, to see if you can notice a few simple things. First of all, who is it that Jesus is talking to in this passage that we read beginning at verse 31? To find the answer, you've got to flick back to the start of the chapter. And verse 1 tells us, It was just before the Passover. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. It's about Jesus and his own who were in this world. It's just a, a roundabout way of saying his disciples, his friends. And if you read chapters 13 through to 17 they tell us about Jesus last night with his disciples before he went to his death so it's Jesus and his disciples what does he command them and that's verse 34 now back to the passage that we actually read what does Jesus command them he commands them to love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. He'd been with them for three years. During those three years, he, he had demonstrated a, a depth and a quality of love, the likes of which they would never have known before. But then he says to them, now I want you to, to do that for each other, to love one another in that kind of way. And why does he command that? He goes on to explain in verse 35 why 
This is so important. He says, by this all men will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. When people see the love of Jesus in a group of Jesus followers. They see Jesus. Jesus said, people will know that you're mine. That you're, you're really mine. Because of the quality of relationship. Because of the love that you share for one another. That's the thing that will help them to understand who I am and to see me. Folks, we've been talking a lot the last weeks and months about being a gospel-centered church, about learning to share the message of Jesus with the the world around us. And maybe you think I'm a a little naive that I've just plowed ahead and done that. Uh, Maybe you think... Christoph, you've missed something here. The world's a very cynical place. People aren't interested in hearing about church, about Christian faith. People no longer trust anybody who they, seem to, who they sense is on the cell, anybody who's, who's pushing something towards them. And then add to that the, the particular dimension of living in Northern Ireland. There's a generation growing up here who are very cynical of religion. They look at the, the recent history of our, of our province. They see what, what it is to say that you're Protestant, what it is to say that you're Catholic. And, and the outcome of, of these religious commitments, people look at the troubles, they look at religion, and they say good riddance to both. So people are cynical of of any claim of truth. Maybe particularly in Northern Ireland, they're cynical of of the the old religious commitments. But folks, I don't think that's the end of the conversation. I think it's probably true to say that a lot of people in Northern Ireland are as I've just described. But it's also true, I think, to say that people are still looking for a way to live They're looking for an identity for themselves. Who am I? And they're looking for a a belonging, a place where they can feel uh, loved and and at home. I want you to imagine for a moment a story of a king. We're in this cynical culture where people don't accept truth and where people are suspicious of anybody who comes to them. I want you to imagine for a moment the story of a king who lays aside his power, who comes to his people in weakness and in humility, who shows him that the only kind of leadership that he's going to give is one of of service. A king who's hated by everyone in power, it seems, and loved by all who are weak. A king who isn't selling anything, but is only about giving giving himself finally. Now, I don't think that that truth would be as unpalatable to our generation as a lot of what they've experienced in the church. I want you to imagine to a community of people who who came to this cynical generation and who offered the identity the, the belonging that they're looking for. A, a group that could come and say, yes, we know who we are. And a group that could say, come, 
you're welcome to join us. Imagine a community that's learning a truth and that truth is setting them free to live better and better lives. A community where the leaders understand themselves as servants. A community that puts its money where its mouth is and serves other people. A community that doesn't pretend to be perfect, but instead revels in, in grace and forgiveness. Now that would be an attractive community in this or any generation. Friends, the, the living church of King Jesus is to be just this kind of place. It's the community of the King living out the values of the King so that people can see and come to the King. People see Jesus when they encounter the love of Jesus lived out by the people of Jesus. This is how God always intended it to be. And if you know your Bible, you'll know that this is the story of the whole of the Bible. This is why God chose Abraham. He told him right at the outset that he would be a blessing to all nations. This is why the prophets reminded God's people, Isaiah 60, God tells his people, Arise, shine, your light has come. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. God's people were always to be there to to shine and draw others. On the first Sunday of Advent, it's interesting to read a passage like that Isaiah one. Because you'll realize immediately that Jesus himself fulfilled everything that Isaiah talked about. Jesus came into the world and he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. I was trying to get my head around this to work out God's people in the Old Testament, they were the light of the world. Now Jesus comes and he says he's the light of the world. And then it dawned on me, Jesus only momentarily took on the mantle of the light of the world. He did that because in that moment, in those 30-something years when he lived on the earth, he fulfilled everything that God's people were chosen to be. And before he left this earth, Jesus made it crystal clear that he was passing that mantle back to us. We are the light of the world. We're the ones here to live a life that draws people to him. What is it Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount? He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Folks, I'm becoming increasingly convinced that the Christian community isn't incidental in how we share the good news of Jesus. That the Christian community is right there That it's the words that we say and the lives that we live and those two things together that God uses to reach people and draw them to Jesus.
if we're going to share the gospel with a a cynical generation in a post-Christian culture, then our churches must become communities of real, loving relationships. I think it's probably time where in the church we took seriously some of our our own well-used jargon. Lots of churches claim to be family churches, and we do here at Kirkpatrick. We talk about this as our church family. While lots of churches claim to be families, it seems to me that we fall a long way short of what we promise sometimes. Think, think for a second about what a family's really like. What do families do? Families eat together, they play together, they cry together and they laugh together. They care for each other. They share together the task of looking after older members and the young. Families argue and fight, but they have to make it up because they're family and they're stuck with each other. They have to find a way of working it out. You can't opt to be part of a different family just because some members of your family don't share your tastes in music, literature, whatever else it is. When you're with your family, you can be yourself. You can relax, take off your shoes, slump up on the sofa. Families provide us with identity and belonging, a place that we can call home. In the book that I've used as a framework and helping me think my way through this teaching that I've been doing, the authors suggest that it would be a useful exercise to to replace the word family in that scenario with the word church. And that would give us a bit of an idea of what the Bible talks about when it says we're the family of God, when it says that we're brothers and sisters in Christ would end up saying something like this. Churches eat together and play together. Churches cry together and laugh together. Churches care for one another. Uh, They share the task of looking after the old and the young. Churches argue and fight, but they don't all of a sudden stop being churches. They have to find a way to work things out. You can't opt for another church simply because some members of your church don't share your taste in music or in reading or whatever. When you're in church, you can feel at home. You can take off your shoes and slump up on the sofa. Church provides us with identity and belonging, a place to call home. By the way, I hope your sofa at home is more comfortable than what you're sitting on now, and it's a little warmer too. If our church is to reach people in a cynical and post-Christian time, it'll need to be this kind of community of love. 
it'll need to be this kind of community of love. And I don't think anything I've said so far might surprise you, but I want to push this a little this morning. I think it needs to be this kind of community of love, but it also needs to be seen to be this kind of community of love. I'm reminded of Leslie Newbigin's famous um, comment. He says that the church is the hermeneutic of the gospel. It's, it's one of those fancy words he uses that makes me feel justified in having a very expensive theological education. What does it mean? The church is the way in which we understand the gospel. And I think he's right. I think a society, a society will always and is entitled to evaluate the Christian message by what it sees in the Christian church. I think that's valid. That people expect to see what they hear talked about, lived out. About a year and a half ago in, in the spring of 2009, the Board of Mission in Ireland of our Presbyterian Church and the local presbytery got together and hosted an event, an evening up in Knock Presbyterian Church. And, and some of us had the privilege of being there. There's one part of that evening that, that lives on in my memory. Um, I just loved hearing some guys from one of the newest Presbyterian churches in Ireland at the time a church plant in Maynooth, just to the west of Dublin. It was a church plant out of Lucan Congregation. Um, the, the guys there told us a little bit about their very new church life. And it was brilliant to hear some of the, the, the members of that church community who'd made the journey up north telling us of how from being totally outside of the church and outside of Christ, they had come to new faith. I'll always remember how the, the two, how the, the minister and his co-worker, Keith McCrory and Kevin Hargarden, how they described this congregation in which they were serving. And they spoke of the church as a self-authenticating community. Now again, these are smart guys. and I'm not the smartest kid on the block when it comes to these kinds of words, so I had to think quite hard about what they meant. I think what they meant is that the life of the church speaks in a way that either endorses or belies its message. Whenever we preach the gospel in a community where the love of Jesus is on display, then we have something to point to. It's like if I stand at the front here and talk about how Jesus Christ calls us to, to lives of love, of, of caring for one another, of sharing our lives deeply. It's a very powerful position for me to be in, to say, and this is what it looks like. And to point to, to the church family. To say that everything that this book talks about, everything that the preacher talks about, it's real and it actually happens and, and here's where you would get to see it. Folks, notice how I linked there the, the preaching of the gospel message with the life lived in the community. Don't misunderstand me here today to say that it's all about visible community. The message is key because the gospel is a word that needs to be believed. That's why we're running Christianity Explored next door just at the moment. 
so that people can have a chance to, to hear the, the clear gospel message and, and see if they might be responding to it. People need to hear the truth of Jesus, but they need to see it lived out too. People see Jesus when they encounter the love of Jesus lived out in the Jesus community. For a while now I've been wondering how our church could be opened up to allow more and more unchurched people, people who don't yet know Jesus, to come and and see a little of what it is that God does among his people. We've tried a few things and we've met some people and that's been very exciting. In May time we threw open our, our marathon relay teams. We invited anybody in the parish who wanted to come and to run with us um, in the Belfast City Marathon and then spend the the afternoon after that with us at a barbecue. In July, we hosted some World Cup uh, match screenings and we had a a barbecue on the day of the World Cup final. And again, we got to meet a, a small number of people from our local community. Every single week, young mums in our congregation would have the opportunity of inviting friends to to our parents and toddlers where they would get to see the the gospel community in action. Maybe God's been speaking to you this morning and and he's been prompting you to think about how, how you could blur the boundaries of your life a bit. Instead of saying, these are my church friends and these are my other friends. Asking us to think, well, Why the two camps? Where might these worlds begin to overlap? Where might they collide? Where might God be calling me to allow some people who don't know Jesus that I know and some people who do know Jesus that I know meet? I have a couple of simple suggestions for you. Slumdog Millionaire on Friday evening of this week. Uh, we've had it in our bulletin for a while. Not a hard thing to invite a friend to go and go to a movie showing with you. Here'd be a chance just to bring somebody from over here. Over here. The carol services that we run in our church, they're, they're always designed to be entirely welcoming for somebody who's not normally part of our church community. You know, maybe, maybe you could invite somebody to, to come with you to a carol service and then you could plan to go out together afterwards. Those are just a couple of ideas and there, there are a lot more once we start to think in these terms. I began by saying this, this morning that I, I think something very exciting is happening because I think we're coming out of the ghetto. This is something that I've been praying about and, and preaching about for for the last year or two, just that this church would learn to, to be beyond itself. And I've seen lots of signs in the last weeks and months of how God's beginning to do this. And I just want to affirm it and recognize it as exactly how God chooses to work through his people. Let me close by maybe updating you on a situation that I mentioned a little bit earlier in this series. If you've been around this autumn, you might remember. 
Uh, I talked one Sunday morning about a request that we had had from a member of the local community, uh, a young woman moving house. Uh, she needed to be moved into a, a housing executive place and she needed a bit of help to do that. I asked you from the front if any people would be willing to help. 16 people, just at that one mention, contacted me and said they'd be glad to be part of something. Now there's nothing, don't, you'll see, there's nothing very dramatic about what we've done. I, I've had a think about what we've done so far. We've moved in a, a bed, we've plumbed in a washing machine and we've put up a curtain pole and we've spent a little bit of time with this young woman and her family. That's all we've done. So hear me say that. There's nothing spectacular, no great story to tell here. So on the one hand, there's nothing very dramatic about what we're doing. But on the other hand, these very small and simple things under God are, are having some sort of an impact. I was speaking to the mother of this young woman that we've been helping on the phone. And in the conversation, I let her know that I'd asked the church if anybody was interested in helping and I told her that 16 people had volunteered and the phone just went quiet. As she was clearly touched and she said to me, Christoph, I didn't know that people would do something like that. And I've since heard that this woman's been telling a few people about how we've been in a position to help her family. And they too have been, have just noticed and have, and have come back saying, well, well, that must be really a community church. Folks, when the people see the gospel lived out, it catches their attention. Whenever they see the love of a Christian community, even cynical people who have decided for sure that church and God isn't for them, find that new questions are coming to their minds and new, new opportunities seem possible. <laughs> Folks, I, I would love it if we would continue to pray that God would make us first and foremost what he wants us to be. Everything I've talked about this morning depends on a, on a reality in here that there really is something going on here to share. That God's Spirit's at work in us and that we're learning to love each other. I think we need to, to keep praying that God would do that work in us. But, but I want to ask you to do a second thing and that is not to leave the door closed not to hide our light under a bushel. Don't then keep, keep that to ourselves. Let's allow people who don't know Jesus to experience the love of the Jesus community. People see Jesus when they encounter the love of Jesus lived out in the Jesus community. Let's pray. Father God, when we 
reflect on your word as we've done this morning, we realize that at least in part we've just over-elaborated. We've made things seem more complicated than they really are. You've taught us that that when we live lives of love, the kind of lives that you call us to, and when we're willing to share that with other people, then by your Spirit you work and you make men and women new. Lord, help us to, to live that out as a church. Anything over and above that, anything that's that's just clutter, we pray that you'd gently take it away. Help us to be a community that's full of the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and ever better at sharing that with others. We pray it in Jesus' name because we want people to see how great he is and how much they need him and how much he will make something of them when only they come to him. We pray it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.